Welcome back to Out the Gate, the podcast about sailing and adventure on and around San Francisco Bay. I'm your host, Ben Shaw. This week, an incredible shipwreck story. But first, I want to thank the Out the Gate community. Because as regular listeners know, I've spent the last month and a half working on Dovka, my 35-foot sloop, which is hauled at a boatyard in Napa. And this past week, I was working to install a new wind transducer on the top of the mast. The mast is off the boat in the yard next to next to the boat. So I didn't have to do this work at the top of the mast, fortunately. But I was still struggling because the new wire for the wind instrument at the top of the mast had to be threaded down through the mast, through a conduit, through a channel, and it already had plug on the end, and I was having trouble fitting this plug through this small circumference conduit in the mast. Anyway, I reached out. I had lots of questions about what if I cut this cord, what what am I going to find inside, and I reached out to the Out the Gate community through Instagram, and immediately got many, many suggestions and responses and good ideas. In particular, one listener who had dealt with almost an identical issue. And so he and I got on the phone and we chatted and he had some great ideas about how to get over it. Not only that, he agreed to send me some parts that he had from when he had dealt with this problem that would help me. He shot him in the mail, got to me a couple days later. And long story short, the Out the Gate community just came through for me and I was able to solve this problem that had seemed like a big hurdle as I got to the end of my time here in the yard getting ready to launch again. So thank you to all listeners. Thank you to those who offered suggestions and who may offer suggestions in the future. That's what I love about this is that uh, we can all learn from each other. And we can certainly learn a lot from the two incredible Bay Area women on the show this week, Bianca Bauman and Fernanda Schlender, who decided to take a surfing trip together to an Indonesian island, and how they took matters into their own hands when the boat they were on to get to the island where they were going to surf became shipwrecked on a reef in the middle of the night. Now, also instrumental in their rescue was local Bay Area sailor James Dilworth, who's been on this show. He was on episode 69, and if you haven't listened to that episode, check it out, because he has some great adventure tales of his own. Anyway, that's enough from me. I'm going to let these two incredible women tell you their story. Here we go. My name is Bianca Bauman. My name is Fernanda Schlender. And Bianca and Fernanda, tell me how you guys met. Uh, Fernanda and I met actually through her husband, her now husband, Paul McManus. Um, Him and I uh, cross paths in the ocean world community. I'm a physical oceanographer. Okay. Her husband uh, dives and is in that space. Uh, And so we, we met through a lot of 
these like uh, happy hours and organizations run by local NGOs here in San Francisco. And then through osmosis, I met uh, his then girlfriend, now wife, Fernanda. And Fernanda and Bianchi are both surfers. Did that, was that one of the things that bonded you? I mean, I wouldn't necessarily say we're surfers. Okay. We're definitely, uh, we're water, novice surfers. Novice we're surfers. water women for sure. Yeah. But I mean, I don't want to <laughs> lie about our skill level <laughs> by any means. Well, um, enjoy time on the water. Yes. Okay. Yeah. I mean, we definitely, when we are getting ready for a surf trip, for example, we do a lot of surfing. and. Yeah have gotten a lot better over the last three years. I'd say you, not me. Yeah. You should really see me <laughs> surfing. It's pretty hilarious. <laughs> yeah, you do have that one really solid photo of you essentially boogie boarding down the face of like this eight foot wave in Mentawai. Well, the story I want to talk to you both about today is just an amazing tale. And the story centers around surfing because it is takes place on one of those surfing trips that you just mentioned. So let's let's start at the beginning. When was this surfing trip that you took together? And was it just the two of you? This surfing trip happened uh, October 16th, 2019. And uh, I was piggybacking off of Fernanda's trip that she or was organizing on her own. Yeah, I, I had quit my job at the beginning of that year. Mm-hmm. Um, I was a sous chef at a super busy restaurant in San Francisco. So I was taking a little bit of time off and was, I had spent the last year getting into surfing and really, really wanted to get better. I was super determined. And so I booked this two week trip that I found on Instagram of all places. Uh-huh. Let that be a cautionary tale to all of you listening. <laughs> but um, To this exotic location where? Yes, in Talos, Indonesia. It's, a, it's actually the Talos Islands. There are a small chain of islands off the southwestern coast of Sumatra. Okay. Um, there are a few chains of islands that are very well known for surfing. Kelly Slater spends a lot of time out there. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of people that you've probably heard of spend a lot of time out there, but Talos Islands is relatively untouched. So um, there was this whole element of adventure yeah. that really hooked me. Not to mention the fact that it was marketed towards women. And so I figured even if I was a little bit in over my head, at least I, ha- I would have a supportive group of women that... Um, at different skill levels around me. And then <laughs> then Bianca and I started surfing together that summer leading up to the trip. And I essentially begged her to come with me because I wanted my surf buddy there yeah. with me. Yeah. These islands aren't easy to get to. So describe the journey. Uh, <laughs> so the journey involves, from San Francisco at least, involves about... 30 hours of travel from San Francisco all the way to Sumatra, to Padang. I think we took three flights. So we stopped in Tokyo, and then we stopped in Jakarta, Mm. and then 
took a smaller plane over to uh, Padang. And Padang is on the west coast of Sumatra yes. there. Yeah. Yes. And it's from Padang that you catch a, the fateful boat, right? Yes, we, we took a 60-foot wooden Indonesian-style type of boat. You were going to take this boat overnight, so it had sleeping quarters for you, right? Mm-hmm. Yes, yeah, so Fernanda and I spent two days in Padang, okay. just getting acclimated and just checking out the city. And then uh, the day of, we met the whole group of women at a hotel okay. in Padang, and then they escorted us into a minivan, and we arrived at the the port around 7.30 p.m., 8 p.m., and that was when the boat kind of caught Fernanda's eye and my eye, and we were kind of sh- surprised because we knew we had a 14-hour voyage uh-huh. out to this these islands um, and um, yeah wooden style boat 60 60 foot or so everyone was Indonesian the crew was all Indonesian um, and young Indonesian boys uh-huh. I'm gonna say boys because they were <laughs> teenagers yeah we were seven women all from different walks of life and places on the planet we had a girl from Hong Kong, which is Patricia, Lisa from Canada, Fernanda and I from San Francisco, uh, and then three Aussie girls. So you get to the docks. It's evening? Yeah. We got to the docks. It was about sundown. And I have a bunch of friends, surfer friends. I went to UCSB. A lot of my friends from there were into surfing back then and are still into surfing now. And I had been bragging to them about this surf trip that I was taking to Indonesia. Such a badass. And uh, and one of my friends in particular, Fernando, <laughs> he, he was like, okay, just make sure you don't get on a wooden boat. Uh-huh. So we approached the dock. There's, there's a channel that comes like in from the open ocean. Um, and we were about a mile up that channel there's a bunch of sort of creaky boats and fishing boats and all, all matter of craft out there. Um, and ours was by no means the worst. It, it really was one of the more sound looking ones out mm-hmm. there. But the first thing that I noticed was that it was entirely constructed of wood. Yeah. And so I kind of grabbed Bianca and she looked at me and we, were, we knew we were both thinking the same thing. But neither of us really wanted to say anything because no one wanted to be the the killjoy. Yeah. Sure. Um, Well, and I think also because of like the Santa Barbara, uh, the dive boat, there was the fire that occurred in Santa Barbara on the boat, the explosion out in the Channel Island. No, it was Channel Island. It was Channel Islands, yes. Yeah. And so that occurred in September. Okay. So just a month. That before. horrific fire where, where where people were sleeping down below yeah. and everyone died. Yes, yeah. yeah. So that exactly that fire and and her husband Paul, and James Dilworth, uh-huh. which is your your connection. Your to connection. Yeah. Um, we were actually on that boat four months before the explosion happened in Santa Barbara. So, and we knew a few of the people that actually were stuck down there 
in below the galley that ended up not surviving. And we knew the crew that were all affiliated that ended up surviving. And we have close contact with them to this day. But anyway, so when we saw this boat in Indonesia, just gave me the creeps a little bit like something I and I don't know if it was because I was already anxious from having that c close call with the true aquatic boat but anyway yeah yeah that was pretty fresh trauma for yeah. you I would say yeah and and then with my the advice that I had gotten from my surfer friends just the two of us kind of knew that we weren't <laughs> quite sure about this situation not to mention the fact that the the surf island this company I guess you could say mm. we hadn't met a representative from their surf camp yet mm. that was going to be on the island with us and so there were all these kind of little mini red flags that we were just trying to ignore because we didn't want to we didn't want to cause anxiety for the rest of the people who we had just met and this is your ride to the resort. Exactly. There, you, it's not like you had a choice. Yeah. So I was the first person on the boat, which didn't even have a gangway. It was like a two by four block <laughs> that we had to <laughs> inch across <gasps> and hope that we now didn't you fall. Now you're carrying your surfboards <laughs> at this time? Or? There, were some, there were some guys, guys that were loading our stuff on. onto yeah, the boat. Okay, okay. And I was the first person on the boat, and I immediately grabbed the, the bunks that were closest to the door. The way that, just to give you some background of the boat, the way that it's structured is that there's 12 bunks, and then that stairway that leads down to the bunk area, there's another staircase that leads up to this little sleeping area where the crew basically all slept on okay. the floor there. And then outside of that, there's a sliding door, and then outside of that you have, like, the, I guess that was the port side of the boat. Then... At the back of the boat, there were there was a picnic table and a little kitchenette where we could make coffee. If we had made it to the morning right, <laughs> on that right. boat, we would have made coffee. <laughs> yeah, I guess that gives you a little bit of kind of. So that was still down below the the table, the little galley that no, you're talking no, that about was, there. That, that was that was basically out in the open oh, air on deck. Okay, okay. Yeah. So back, yeah. that's the, the the stern of the boat. Yes. The, okay. Got it. Got it. So you pick the bunks closest to this sliding door yeah. that leads out. Yes. And. Settle down. Mm -hmm. And Bianca sort of mouthed, thank you. <laughs> yes. It was like one of those, like, you have eye contact with your friend and you just have a conversation, but nothing is really yeah. said. And I was just like, thank you. Yep. <laughs> thank you for getting the closest bunk to the exit door. <laughs> and at this time, you had no idea how important that would be. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I imagine that you don't immediately fall asleep into sound sleep because no. you're <laughs> still a little on edge. So tell me what, what do you remember happening next? So we had a little powwow with the, with the group of women that were um, on this trip. One of which was, she hadn't been on one of these trips before, but she was hired by the organizer to lead yoga and meditation and breathing like workshops okay. on the, on the trip. And so we did this very kumbaya, like, everybody, tell us who you are and tell us what you're looking forward to and in what ways do you want to grow and what are you going to meditate about? <laughs> just like, 
I mean, I was like yeah, trying to lean in. Yeah. And so we did that. We we had a beer. Nobody really drank their beer. I think everyone was a little bit nervous. And then um, about halfway into this, a slightly disheveled, very tan Brazilian man named Fernando, not the same one that, <laughs> <There are a lot laughs> that warned me about boats like this. Yeah. Um, he and his girlfriend showed up and he was like, hey, so are you guys ready to ready to go to Telos? He seemed like a very like like to just describe him like the beachy type laid back board shorts, board shorts. I don't even think he had a shirt on yeah. uh, long, long shaggy brown hair uh, yeah and he hopped on the boat with his girlfriend which was like looked like she could have been an Instagram influencer or something <laughs> <laughs> and just very decked out and glam and you know, a lot of makeup and maybe some injections here and there, but <laughs> um, not to be catty. Not to be catty. <laughs> no, no, good for her. There's nothing wrong with that. You go, girl. <laughs> but just trying to describe it. Yeah, yeah. No, painting the picture. <laughs> painting I love the it. Painting the picture. So, um, who was this? Was this the? He was like he, he was, was another passenger, or is this the cap the guy no, driving the boat? He, he was the um, correspondent from the company. Okay. And he was essentially there to not only hitch a ride back to the islands, but also to kind of organize us girls and yeah, chaperone the trip. And um, but his chaperoning was quite laid back. He was more concerned about where the coffee is. <laughs> and the beer is then giving us a rundown of where the life jackets were. So and I would, yeah, imagine no safety briefing. That's no what safety ask. briefing yeah. at all. No. Bianca actually dis- asked him yes. where the life jackets were. Oh. Yeah. I ended up asking him because he was like, all right, let's have a great time. And I was like, um, where are the life jackets? And he was like, I'll show you the life jackets, but you won't need them. And he walked us over to the bow of the boat in a white chest, uh, like a Yeti type thing, opened it up and there were the life jackets. And he was like, oh, you won't need them. We've, yeah, we've never used them before. This is going to be, it's going to be a great, a good trip over. And in the morning, you're going to wake up in paradise. And that was his, his spiel. Yeah, his safety briefing and. And and that was it. And he, I think he went down to the bunk area pretty early, like pretty early on when we took off. Um, most people w- went down and went to sleep right away. Fernanda and I, and a f- and, Lisa. and Lisa from uh, the girl we just met a few hours prior at the hotel, were all up in the galley, um, and we opened up a beer and started to have a drink and talk and and we were off off to sea i think we did sort of discuss our little like the little things that seemed like red flags because i do remember that once we hit the open water and it got pretty rough out there and we all started to feel kind of sick, too, at that point, even though we were all on Dramamine. I remember just going going to bed with a bit of an uneasy feeling. Mm-hmm. It didn't help that Bianca got a little seasick. That was not fun for you. No. 
But yeah, eventually everyone kind of slowly drifted off. I was kind of cruising Instagram. I still had a couple bars on my phone. I had an Indo SIM card in there. And as soon as I lost service, I figured, okay, well, it's time for me to at least try to go to sleep. Yeah. So I put my phone in, in airplane mode and just put it aside and shut my eyes. And it was like, it's like when you're a kid and you try to go to sleep, you're like squeezing your eyes shut as hard as they'll go. Like sleep, 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 sleep. Count sheep, all the things, deep breathing. Bianca came to, came to or went to her bed. Did you fall asleep? Uh, it took a minute for me to fall asleep. Yeah. yeah. But I was, yeah, I had the spins a little bit and... Yeah, and I've, yeah, I've, I've been out at sea quite a bit for like my occupation, being a physical oceanographer, and 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 also to, uh, you know, the, this this goes back to the safety briefing conversation with Fernando. I've done a lot of projects out in the high seas and was trained at Stanford when we get get on boats to go collect data out there, like. You always have a plan, always. Even when you dive, you have a plan. There was, there's always a plan when you're out in nature. <laughs> right. So. Were you asleep? I was asleep. I was not. <laughs> so tell me what you remember happening next. Um, so I was laying there with my eyes shut, trying to sleep as hard as I could, and it was just not working. I don't know. I don't know how much time really had passed because I was trying not to look at my phone. And it just every time the boat swayed, it was it was probably like the, the roughest seas I've ever been on. I don't have a whole lot of experience on on liveaboards or anything like that. But I always kind of prided myself for being good on the water because I sailed in high school and college. And mm-hmm. but yeah, I, I'm laying there and suddenly I hear this noise like a like a really loud like clank kind of sound. It sounded like two very hard materials hitting each other. Uh-huh. I immediately sat up and the first person that I was looking for was Bianca and so I swung my legs down over my bunk. I was on the top bunk and Bianca was <laughs> below me and her head was sticking out of her bunk and I said, "Did you did you just hear that?" And she goes, "Yeah." And I said, was that a good sound or a bad sound? <laughs> and she was like, that's a bad sound. And so then we kind of surmised that maybe a, a fallen palm tree or something, we had run into it. All of this, by the way, is happening in like, the time sort of stretched out for us right. when we were experiencing all of it. So we'll give you lots of details, but mind you, this is like a 10 second span. Sure. <laughs> maybe like five seconds. <laughs> But, um, That's what happens. These things just slow down. Yeah, yeah. it's nuts. The instinctual, like, like, yeah. oh shit, we yeah. are in trouble, <laughs> is literally a millisecond. Yeah. But and somehow, it's like fight and flight. Like, but somehow <laughs> nobody else on the boat was awake except for us. It huh. was so crazy. We looked around because there was a there was like a little bit of light, um, so we could kind of see down like the bunk area, and I didn't see anyone. You know, in retrospect, thinking about it, th- a lot of them took Dremamine. Yeah. And they were all drinking at the hotel a lot That's before true. you and I showed up. That's true. So I, this is my, I don't know if this is like the case, but I'm thinking maybe they were just 
passed yeah. out. Yeah. Totally. Like, as we're kind of running our minds through, like, what the possibilities are, then all of a sudden we hear and feel the gears in the boat shift, and it sounds like the boat is trying to reverse. That's when I look out at that sliding door that I told you about earlier. There's this little square window on it, and I see water just splashing over the the side of the boat. In my head, I thought, oh my God, we've hit something and we're gonna sink. We're out in the open ocean. We are Lord knows where, how many miles off of the nearest land, and it's pitch black outside. So Bianca and I run up to this sliding door and we start, we go to open it and it's stuck shut. Oh. So I don't know if the seawater, if like the salt had caked in the, in the little hinges or the, the sliding mechanism. With the two of us pulling as hard as we could, it was just not opening. So at this point, we're thinking, wow, if we don't make it out of here, then we're going down with this boat. So I start screaming. I may have blacked out for a little bit of this, but what I do remember is bashing at the window with my fists and then with my elbows and screaming, somebody, please come help us open this door, open this fucking door. You did say that. And then I remember ceasing to bash with my arms or hands because I thought, well, if I do get this open and I break an arm and I have to swim, I want to have my arms available to me. And at that point, one of the crew members appeared at the top of the steps where they had been sleeping. His eyes were like popping out of his head. He was obviously terrified and he ran down the stairs and he got behind me and Bianca and he helped us open the door. And so we finally slid it open. And this whole time that this is happening, the boat is rocking like 45 degrees in each direction. Like we are, we're like hanging on sometimes and we're falling against the door at other times. At this point, most of the people down below, I think with all the commotion, woke up. Patricia was right behind us and she was starting to climb up the stairs. And at one point the boat rocked backwards and she fell backwards and hit her head. She was okay, just a little bit freaked out. And at that point, once we managed to open that door, we ran outside and went straight to where we knew the life jackets were. Because at this point, like the boat wasn't capsizing. It was just rocking in the heavy swell that was out there. So you realized you weren't immediately sinking? Well, we had no windows in the bunk area Mm -hmm. to even know where we were, where we hit, if we were sinking. Uh, We just knew that there were... uh, there were large waves coming through the port side and you could see the water. And when we finally opened up that sliding door and we got on deck, we ran to the bow. And while she was opening up that Yeti box with all the life jackets, I was like, I got to see where we're at. And I could see palm trees in the far, far distance. So there were no city lights out there. You were at the mercy of the stars and (laughs) the ocean. And so the stars were out and bright and you could see a bit far in the distance. Like there are palm trees. And I, that's when I was like, my anxiety went from like a hundred, 
million thousand percent to about like half of that so <laughs> and i was like okay yeah yeah we have land yeah, somewhere like, guys, there's an island out here. yeah i was like guys there's an island out here like we are not in the middle of the indian ocean you said you guys we crashed into a reef i did say that i i, I was like i think we crashed into a reef that's when i like started to think about it and i was like oh this is totally an atoll we crash into an atoll. I don't know how far the swim is going to be from here to like right. Sandy Beach, but we are we the anxiety d- dropped quite a bit. Yeah, considerably after I saw the palm trees. Fernando, what, did that make you feel better or was it yeah. still okay? Yeah, definitely. For like a solid 10 seconds that felt like an eternity, I thought our odds were pretty bad. And we went from grave odds to pretty bad odds but there was hope there was like a there was considerable a way out. amount of hope yeah yeah but then our concern became well if we are if we've crashed onto this reef and we're in heavy surf and heavy wind our next clear and present danger was that the boat might capsize mm-hmm. and so at that point the captain who we didn't even see him we never we didn't even know what he looked like but he came out and he started barking orders to everyone after Bianca and I took the initiative to pass life jackets to everyone on the boat, including Fernando, the guy who was supposedly in charge. He was, him and his influencer girlfriend were the last ones to get up and get on deck. Yeah. And huh. he looked totally dazed and confused. I'd put money on it that he was on drugs, both of them, because they looked like they were like so confused. Uh, no good. fear, though, just just completely dazed and confused. And yeah. I was like, how are you not taking any initiative in this? <laughs> wow. We led the, the rescue efforts ourselves. Did. Tell me about that. W- assessing the situation, you had gotten the life jackets. Yep. Yeah, I got You're being yelled at by the captain to do what? Uh, so once we'd passed li- life jackets to everyone, the captain was saying, was telling everyone to get to the stern of the boat. People started scrambling to the back of the boat. I was one of the last people on the bow. Like something about it felt really wrong to me. I made my way to the back of the boat on the starboard side. At this point, I was kind of on the low side and the boat was rocking and I realized that that was probably not very smart. And I get to the back and I see Bianca standing on the high side of the boat on the stern. And we made eye contact. And I looked at her like, this doesn't feel right. And she, I don't know if, he, if this was like your ESP with me or if you actually said this, but you went, this is so not right. And then that's when Bianca said, what did you say? You're like, this captain is a kook. He doesn't know what he's talking about. We need to get to the front of the boat. All the machinery for the boat is on the back, and so it's actually one of the more dangerous sides to be on in this kind of situation is sort of what I understood in that moment. Bianca said, we need to jump ship or everyone on this boat is going to die. I think my my exact words were, because the captain kept saying, stay in the stern, yelling at us, and he had a cigarette in his hand. He's like, stay in the back of the boat, stay in the back of the boat with uh, broken English. And then I saw the Aussie, one of the Aussie girls had a cut on her forehead, so she was bleeding. Cargo was moving back, heavy cargo was moving back and forth while the boat was getting rocked. Back, uh, back where and you forth. Were. Yeah, back where we were. Yeah. And people were getting hit by these large boxes, heavy boxes too, which we we're like, what, what can they possibly be taking to this island? 
I saw everybody frazzled. Um, the crew, which were the young Indonesian boys, were terrified. And they had no idea what to do. And I was like, okay, this is not a good sign. If I and Fernanda are the ones that are taking initiative to hand out life jackets, and we are the ones that are like, we're just assessing the situation and we're kind of leading the situation and everyone is just like running around like chickens with their heads off. I was like, okay, now it's time to make a plan. I would never go against any captain because it's just, it's just not what you do. Even a research scientist at sea, you never go against the captain. But this time I was like, you know what? I'm going against the captain's <laughs> orders. Yeah, Your life was at stake. Yes. Yeah. So and what did you decide in that moment? So at that moment, when he was yelling at us to stay in the, stay in the back of the stern, in the lower, the, the part that was like exposed to the water... I was like, does this guy want want us to capsize? Like, what what is he thinking? And I was like, there's even like the physics of this is not right. You don't need a rocket science degree to figure that out. It was just common sense. And that's when I that I think that's when I was like, this captain's a kook. And then I said, and then I said, and then I said, well, I'm jumping ship. I got up and I like, I think I like yelled that out to the group of girls. And I was like, I'm jumping ship. If you guys don't come with me, well, you're all going to die. And I walked off and Fern turns to me and goes, I'm coming with you. And I was like, oh, no, you don't have a choice. I promised your husband that you are under my wing and I am going to take care of you. You don't have a choice. We're going together. And off to the bow we went. And right into the water? There was a plan of action. It was actually kind of cute in retrospect, which was not cute at the time. But as soon as Fernanda said, I'm I'm coming with you, then Patricia was like, well, I'm coming too. And then Lisa was like, well, I'm going to go if you girls are going to go. And then so then the rest of the group was like, okay, we're all going to go. We're all going to jump ship. And I was like, guys, this boat is going to capsize. Like, we don't know this boat. Uh, our odds are not in our favor right now. And then so that's when we had a plan of action. And that's when I kind of was like, all right, I guess I'm going to lead this little excursion to the ocean. And I turned around and I was like, hey, Canada, because I didn't know her name at that point. And I was like, hey, Canada. And she was like, Lisa. And I was like, Lisa, you had a dry bag. I saw you had a dry bag at the hotel. We have to go down to the bunk area, grab the dry bag. We have to get all of our shoes. Yeah, then that was another thing that I said. I was like, girls, we're going to jump ship. Everybody has to grab their shoes, either their surf surf booties or your sneakers, because we're going to probably wade for a while, and they're sharp animals and critters and coral. And That like. was very smart. And everyone just listened. Yeah. It was great to have someone with some authority the ironic thing is that one of the gals from Australia actually worked on the ferry that goes between Melbourne and Tasmania. Okay. I think one of those big ferries. And so, like, she's a professional stewardess, maritime person. And she wasn't offering anything in terms of how to get off of that boat safely or how to even handle the situation. So Bianca, what do you think? Have you ever been in a situation before where that leadership has come into play? What was it that made you take the reins when you saw that there was a lack of that? 
Yeah, that's a really good question. This is kind of like an emotional answer. I don't think I would, I'd say like a tragedy of that sort occurred to me, but I did recently lose my father to cancer. And for some reason, like watching him pass away and watching that whole process built some like resilience in me, not resilience, but some like calmness of like, you're going to get through this. Like you're going to, you're going to, you're going to figure this out. You're going to get through this. And, and I think that is like the best answer that I can give is when you go through something like that, it just changes you. Mm. And so I, yeah, there was there was quite a calmness over me, like that w- is so. Uh, to this day, I'm just like baffled at it because I'm like usually I overreact and I'm emotional and I'm like, you know. But for some reason, I kept it together and I was just like, nope, the island is there. We're doing this. We're going down there to the bunk area. We are grabbing the essentials, snacks you know, water, cell phones, that's it. And I was like, come on, Canada, we're going down there. (laughs) (laughs) So you got the stuff in the dry bags. Tell me about that moment standing on the gunnel of the boat before you Before we jumped? Before we jumped. I jumped first. I wish we held hands. I think we did, like, going up to the edge. Yes. Because I do remember, <laughs> I, I don't know why I remember this, but there are so many s- instances in this story where I kind of liken it to being a kid, like trying to fall asleep. And yeah, when we got to the edge, we, we held hands and you said, I'm going to jump in first. And I said, well, I'm right behind you. Yeah. And so you jumped in and I jumped right behind you. Lisa and PK, Patricia, jumped in behind us. And those, at that point, the four of us were the only people that we were concerned with because we had sort of had a bond from the very get-go. So, yeah, so we jumped in. Um, Did you know how deep it was? Could you feel the bottom? Initially, you could not. I, I could not feel the bottom at all. I went straight through. Yeah. I'm thinking probably like 20 feet, 25. Yeah, but I do remember jumping in and... I told Fern, I was like, you have to follow, you have to jump right after I jump. And she was like, okay, I will. And then I I remember looking at the stars and I know this is, I'm not into like horoscopes or anything of of that sort, but I remember looking at the stars and I was just like, dad, if you're out there, please help, please. And I just jumped and I was like, no. And I think I did say this, well, here goes nothing. And I just jumped (laughs) (laughs) and I jumped and yeah. And it was, I could not feel the bottom which I guess is good because you don't want to jump in a shallow reef. Um, and then, yeah, we, yeah, just like what Fernanda said, we, everybody just started jumping in one by one. I made sure that Lisa, Canadian girl, <laughs> that had the dry bag was doing okay because she was struggling a little bit with holding onto the bag. It's a big responsibility with waves crashing, reef, and you, you're like dealing with this like chaotic situation and I I saw she was struggling so I was kind of like waiting in the water with her trying to help her 
I told her, I was like, this, I know there are cell phones in here, but, but if you need to use this for as flotation, if you have to. That brings up a question that is in my mind. The bo- surfboards were somewhere on the boat. Had you thought of taking them with you at any point? Yes. Point? No, that is a great question. Um, yes, we, we did think about the surfboards, but they were tucked in like the bottom of the boat there was yeah. like an area in the cargo area and it was just hard hard to get to very hard to get into yeah and then we we swam for a while and we started to wade and just swimming towards the palm trees mm-hmm. towards the palm trees and yeah we finally got to got to land got to the sandy beach before we get there though yes. you were on a on an atoll was there a, a point where you hit shallows or, or breaking waves? The breaking waves were right behind the port side of the boat. Oh, okay. So you yeah. you had gotten, the boat had basically taken you past the break. Yeah, it's been And you were exactly. into the lagoon. We were in the lagoon. But there were, I think it was like high tide because there were waves. It was pretty wavy when we initially jumped but it uh-huh. got it got better it was a lagoon yeah essentially that we were wading yeah, into I mean, those were the waves that we were seeing crashing over the side of the boat when we initially crashed yeah. and we were trying to open that door yeah um but yeah we didn't really have to deal with heavy surf because that was back at the boat so it was it was more just navigating the coral and trying not to twist ankles or um hurt our feet or our limbs in any way. But I do remember when we when we were swimming, it the the reef just happened right away cuz I bashed my knee into a piece of coral. Mm. <laughs> and I actually blacked out for the swimming part. Like I don't I have no recollection of that. And for the first like 3 days of us telling the story, I was I kept insisting that we did not swim. And finally oh, I was yeah. corrected by the other three girls. Yeah. They were like, "Fern, we swam." You did too. <laughs> and why, why do you think you don't remember that part? I don't know. I think it was just like, like Bianca said, here goes nothing. Yeah. And you're just in straight survival mode. And I didn't, I mean, I wasn't thinking about anything. I was just thinking about getting to that island. I remember a couple of days later thinking, wow, that was pretty nuts that we just jumped into this pitch black reef where like all manner of poisonous life sharks what what have you could be living out there we could have stepped on urchins we could have stepped on anything and somehow no one was really badly hurt how long do you think it was between jumping off the boat and and crawling up on the beach maybe like 15 minutes 20 minutes we hit the reef at 9:28, and by the time we had our phones out and you were texting paul and james it was 10:19. so it was 40 minutes from hitting the reef to being on the island you guys tell me about the to crawling to shore what was that like so that must have been another Yes. Breath of relief. Yes. Well, breath of relief. But then it's soon when we got to shore, it was kind of like this, like, have you seen the movie The Beach with Leonardo DiCaprio? I haven't. You haven't? 
Well, there's this scene where they like get on to this island off of Thailand and they're like, or there were tourists, sorry, tourists that found this secret island and because of a map that was left on mainland Thailand. And then they were greeted by drug lords with militia and weapons. And so we all had that moment of like, (laughs) where are we stepping into? Are there booby traps? Are we going to be Uh. greeted with guns? And like, what are you doing in my marijuana crop fields? Like, would you like... Bang, bang, bang. Yeah, the paranoia. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Because we're like, what else can go wrong? What else can happen? Right. I mean, sure. When we got on the boat, too, this is like my my imagination really got the best of me on this (laughs) trip. But when we got on the boat, we were already feeling kind of uneasy about just the whole look of it and the fact that we didn't have a representative from the surf island until we were already on the boat. We were getting into vans, like... At one point, I think one of us joked, like, are they going to take us to go kill us now? Like, (laughs) what's going to happen? And we got on the boat. This is back in Padang. And we see all these boxes that are kind of wrapped in plastic. They look like they have, like, really, there's just a lot of stuff in there, and they're pretty heavy. And I remember pointing to the boxes and saying, hey, what's what's in these boxes? And they're like, oh, that's your food for the next two weeks. And I, I have a cooking background, and... I understand that procuring food is probably not that easy when you're on a remote island. Part of me was like, yeah, okay, that makes sense. 15 people go through a lot of food in two weeks, and it's shocking how much. But at the same time, I was like, I don't know if I believe you guys. There could be some illicit substances or firearms or something on this boat. So when we're on that. Questions. Yeah, so many questions. So when we're on that island, We're like, oh, my God, what if we're on this drug island? What if they're smuggling stuff on our boat and we find out and we all get murdered? Like, I'm looking around looking for hiding spots (laughs) because just in case. Obviously, you're not feeling you're not feeling very safe at this point. Not great. So what's the next step? Uh, We looked at our phones. Everyone that had SIM cards or roaming had at least like one or two intermittent bars of service. Ah. These are uh, Indonesian SIM cards. Yeah. So we had to buy a SIM card when we landed in Indonesia. So you have limited amount of exactly. time? Time yeah. and data. Yeah. Because our iPhones just, or our, ser- ser- our service here in the States do not work at all. You know, you can go to Mexico with your Verizon. Sure carrier and it would like work but you needed a sim card and you had a limited amount i would imagine you all start reaching out yes right away well i so i i remember when we landed in indonesia i that's when i got a job offer or not a job offer i was uh got an email from sail drone which is a, a robotics autonomous vehicle robotics company here based in the bay area and I and I was when we landed in Indonesia, and I think I exhausted Fernanda because I was like, when we land, I have to get an Indonesian SIM card. I need data. I need data because I'm going to have an interview. They wanted to set up an interview while I was out in Indonesia, and I was like, Fernanda, okay, like when we land, first thing we do 
Indonesian SIM card. And she was just like, oh, Jesus Christ. Okay, all right. Got it. I got your point. <laughs> like... <laughs> So well, I, you got it. I got, got it. it. No, she wasn't. She wasn't. She was. She was very patient. But I could see by the fifth or sixth ask, like any normal person would be like, "All right, Bianca, we're gonna get you your we're, SIM card. We'll get you your SIM card." But yeah, so I, um, I made sure that I got the one with like the most data, and I was like, "I don't care if I have to spend two hundred U.S. dollars on this. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I am going to get the best service because I don't want to miss this opportunity." to work for a sail drone. So when we got to the island, Fernanda ended up buying a SIM card as well. Mm -hmm. But when we got to the island, I quickly, uh, and I think it's because of this data that I had, I quickly like uh, went on Google Maps to get our latitude and longitude. Ah. Before I send out any sort of sure, SOS, sure, because you needed to tell people where you where were. we were. Yeah. I was like, I don't know where we are. This like, you know, this island could be the size of like a penny, or it could be like the size of you know, <laughs> who knows? Lucky enough, it picked up the latitude and longitude right away before it stopped working for the rest of the time we were on the island, and I took a screenshot of it. <laughs> just fast acting and I was like all right guys I've got the latitude and longitude start SOSing away and I think I gave my phone to Fern because I just needed a moment of like Mm -hmm. I need a minute so I was like Fern can you just text everybody I just everyone on my phone everyone on whatsapp except your family yeah I said except (laughs) my mom (laughs) and my sister (laughs) yeah yeah I was like message everybody except for my mom and my sister I'll let them, I'll get in contact with them when the Coast Guards arrive. So that's where James Dilworth comes back into the story. Because yes. he was yeah. one of the people. Yes. He was kind of front of mind for me to contact because six months earlier in May, I had been to the Philippines with him. Paul and I had been to the Philippines with him. We took a trip up to um, the Batanes Islands, which are the northernmost islands of the Philippines, closest to Taiwan. We did this sort of adventurous trip where we befriended a fisherman and he took us in his tiny little boat 40 miles north out to this deserted island where we camped for a couple nights and went free diving and fishing and probably made some not of the, not the smartest decisions, but we came out of it like alive and fine. And he was just a person that I, I felt completely safe having taking all these risks with James there. And so when Bianca gave me her phone and said, text everyone, I immediately texted Paul and I texted my, my parents and my sister. And then I thought, well, I should definitely text James and let him know where we are because he probably knows people, if anything. So I texted him, I think, our coordinates and said, SOS, this is not a joke. <laughs> we're, we're stranded on this island. Like, can you help us? Can you call the call the embassy and call the Coast Guard and like? But uh, coming from my phone number, because I'm a jokester in our group of friends, his response. He was like, Bianca, you've got. Are you joking? I think. Yeah, he did. No, yeah, he just said something along the lines of like, oh, yeah, sure. Good one, Bianca. Good one. Good one. (laughs) And she was like, no, this is Fernanda. Like, help. (laughs) <laughs> like we need you so he sprung into action and he ended up calling the embassy 
Yeah, he called the embassy. So, and then the embassy called the Indonesian Coast Guard. And at that point, the Indonesian Coast Guard had already gotten the SOS from our ship. They basically said to the embassy, okay, we're good. We got it. And then the embassy told James, okay, we're good. We got it. And that was sort of it from the embassy. The Coast Guard, the Indo Coast Guard, they actually sent a ship out to come rescue us that, that evening, which showed up at around two in the morning. But for some reason, Fernando, who had been like sort of talking on the radio with the captain back on the boat, he told us that we had to wait until daybreak because it was too dangerous to approach the island. Which Bianca and I kind of thought, well, that's, that's a little bit fishy because this is the Coast Guard. Like, they should be able to perform rescues at any time. But we just sort of went with it and trusted that Fernando was not messing with us or anything like that. At this point, we found out that there were two people on the island, that this island was, in fact, a turtle. It was a turtle restoration. They had turtle restoration there. It, a turtle reserve. Yeah, there we go. Reserve, sorry, <laughs> yeah. yeah. How, these, these two people showed up? So these two people were the caretakers on the island, and they heard the commotion, and they came out with flashlights, and we were like, oh, this is our ship over there, and they're like, oh, come over, we have, we have like, a, we have a fire, we have a little shelter, we have ah. some benches, and so we ended up parking all of our stuff out there. We all were wet at this point and really cold because it was so windy. I mean, it wasn't cold, but the wind chill was just... Sure, and you're wet. Yeah. Um, and so at that point, we had our luggage on the island, and so I was lending sweaters out to people, and we were... We How were did your luggage get to the island? Fernando, the, the trip leader, yeah. had taken the little rescue boat from our ship, filled it with all of our luggage, and brought it to the island. Ah. That was probably the one good thing he did on that entire 12-hour period, I guess. Yeah. At this point, everyone on the ship were um, on land. So they all the followed captain. you. Yeah, they all followed yep. Sue, the Indonesian crew. crew. Yep. And, and one thing I, I, I think it's important to acknowledge here is like a lot of the, these Indonesian, Indonesians don't know how to swim. Mm -hmm. That is just, even though they are raised in an island, they don't know how to swim. And because it's not, it's not like a, you know, a novelty like we have here, like go take swim lessons. Like they need to go to work at a very young age, not given that opportunity to learn some that skill. And, and so they were going back and forth with a dinghy that they ended up launching from the boat. So they all ended up on the island with us, mm -hmm. very scared. I felt so bad for these boys. Mm -hmm. I mean, luckily us Westerners, we jumped off and were able to swim, but they were like just stuck on the boat, just terrified. So at this point, the Coast Guard had arrived, but then departed again. Yes. Yeah, so we saw in the distance, you know, a vessel coming closer to the atoll and we all just were filled with joy. Right. Like, Our Yay! rescue ship is here. Rescue's here. We're going to get off this boat. It's freezing. Like, let's get out of here. Um, and then Fernando told us to wait till daybreak, and then um, the boat just vanished. So it was interesting that it made its way all the way out there, but then it left. 
And meanwhile, James Dilworth, when he got the latitude and longitude that we sent him, he actually Google mapped the atoll that we crashed in. And he's so great because he said, that island that you're stuck on, if this is the correct island that I have, is surrounded by an atoll. It's, but however, there is a ch small narrow channel to the southwest of the island where you guys might be able to get through and get rescued. So I thought that was like so great of James Dilworth. He's just so, he's just such like a pioneer, like when it comes to like ocean navigation and he's just so organized all the time. Every time I'm on a boat with him, I just feel safe. <laughs> he knows what he's doing is what I'm trying to say. Was he able to communicate that information to the embassy and to the Coast Guard? He said that he did, mm -hmm. yes. Yeah, he let them know. Now, if that got translated from U.S. to... Sure. Uh, it's like it is literally a game of telephone. <laughs> yeah, a game of telephone, exactly. That must have been quite a bit of a letdown. You thought, here we are, mm -hmm. there's a boat coming for us, and then it's more waiting. More waiting, yes. So you just hung out. Nobody's sleeping, right? Are you trying to get any sleep? No, I don't think I slept. I stayed up around the fire with the crew. I was kind of watching, looking at my phone. I saw what time the sunrise was, and so I figured first light would be like 15, 20 minutes before that. And so at that time, it was like 5 in the morning, I went for a walk to go see where that big rescue boat was because it had a big shining beacon of light. And it was gone, and that's when I went around and I woke people up and I said, the, the boat's gone. What? the hell is going on at this point there was a lot of yelling at fernando <laughs> asking him what was what was going on and he said that he didn't have an answer for us and so we got back on our phones and said okay well no no rescue boat has come they came last night but but they're gone now and what we heard in response was that the captain had told them to go away hmm. So, but they said, you know, we're getting, I mean, we weren't talking to the Coast Guard, obviously, but through our contacts, they were resending a boat. They would be there at like nine in the morning. And sure enough, they showed up and sure enough, they sent their little rescue dinghy out through the keyhole in the reef and they were able to rescue all of us. And How many at a time were they able to take? Six, seven of us at a time. Yeah. You all got on the Coast Guard boat? And how long was that? That oh, including the crew, the the boys. It was it was a mix of us. I I w Fernanda and I were the last ones to get on the boat because I when the coast guards showed up, I was like, okay, well, they're here. Now I can use my cell phone batteries right. to launch my drone to really check this island out. <laughs> And um, <laughs> I love it. Yeah, so I I wanted to stay behind and get a good glimpse of this island, and yeah. and I knew our rescue was there, so I just plugged in my phone to my drone and flew that thing up, and that's uh, that's the f image in the Latitude Thirty Eight magazine that I took with my drone, and it's and fantastic. lo and behold, that channel is there that James Dilworth found on Google Maps. There um, it is. Uh, yeah, wow. and there it is. Um, and that's that's how they came in. That's how they came in and, and picked us all up. And and after I was done launching the drone up, 
and take, took a few snap snapshots of the the island. We were on the Coast Guard boat and greeted with like cup of noodle soup and blankets and a whole crew of Indonesian uh, Coast Guards that were just so excited to see American girls and Western girls. <laughs> and they all wanted a photo with us. Well, I have to say when I say us, the blondes on the, yeah. on the trip. We didn't really get noticed very much. <laughs> That's funny. And so it was another couple hours back to, to the mainland? It, I think it was like an hour, an hour and a half. It was a really short ride. Yeah. yeah. We, were, we were not that far off of Sumatra. Yeah. Tell me about the hours and the days afterwards. I mean, you've had this traumatic experience how did you go about processing this when we got off the boat um, we had a dark van waiting for us with an indonesian indonesian man escorting us to a hostel this hostel was very like dark i mean it was called bat and arrow there was barbed wires everywhere it just did not it it looked like a very dark place um, and they took us there, and we were greeted by the owner of the hostel, and his name is Charlie. He was like, I'm going to take care of you guys. You guys will be staying here at the hostel with us uh, until your next boat is ready. The sister boat of the one that crashed will be taking you in the next day or two back out to the islands. The sister boat is an exact copy of the boat that crashed. Hell no, we're not getting on that thing again. We were very apprehensive and just like, how how could you want even to right. be like... How could you expect us to get back on yes, the same boat and yes, do this all over again? Exactly. But, you know, and that's when the that's when the group actually split between the, the three Aussie girls and then us four girls because the three Aussie girls were ready to go back get back on that boat and us four were hesitant and uh we didn't really trust the 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 guy that met with us charlie this charlie character guy um there's more to charlie which we could get into but we were terrified i mean the next day i mean there like an earthquake hit the next day while we were out there guys couldn't catch a break we could not catch a break and i think that's when fernanda and i we were like sleeping in our hostel room and fernanda looked at me and she was just like i just don't think indonesia wants us here let's just go home and so her and i were back and forth between uh should we go to another resort book another resort should we go back home uh luckily Lisa, the Canadian girl with the dry bag, uh, she she was so kind and generous and such a great friend of ours to this day. She said, you know, I will spot you guys money to forfeit that trip that, you know, the Aussies are going to go on, the what Charlie's set up to get back on the sister boat. Let's go to another surf resort, just the four of us, clean slate. Let's have let's have a great trip. We're going to take the fast ferry over to this island. It's about 3 hours. It's a bit safer. It's not a dodgy 
dodgy boat. And let's do that. And you guys pay me back whenever you can. At that point, the only thing that we all knew for sure was that we weren't going to go to the Talos Islands. Yeah. And it was more than just the boat itself. As Charlie and Fernando had repeatedly assured us, that boat has had done hundreds of voyages over the last 14 years. And so the boat, honestly, in retrospect, that wasn't as much what I was concerned about. It was more the lack of leadership in a crisis situation that had me wondering, well, if we if we do, in fact, decide to go to Talos and go to this surf, this particular surf camp, if something happens to one of us, if we get pummeled on a wave and get concussed or break an ankle or, or get cut on the reef, will these people take care of us? Well, they didn't really show us that they had the capacity to do that. And so I don't trust them to take me on that boat. I don't trust them to take care of me when I'm on the island. I don't trust them, period. Yeah. And so for me, that, that decision was made. And at that point, yeah, it was just back and forth between, okay, do we, do we start over, clean slate, go to this other island, or do we go home? Yeah, the earthquakes didn't really help us make <laughs> that form, form that decision. But and you did end up going to the other resort. Yeah. Yeah. So we went to a resort called Aloida. It was run by a Swiss family, really nice people, and super organized about their operations. So, I mean, we noticed we noticed a huge night and day difference as soon as we booked with them. They sorted out our ferry rides. They had people with branded shirts meeting us as soon as we arrived at Mentawise. Just basically, we, we had assurance every step of the way from the moment we booked with them that we were taken care of. And were you able then to spend a little bit of time relaxing? and? Yeah. yeah. Oh, gosh, we had such a good time. One thing that I do have to say, which is funny, is that when we got there, us, all four of us, you know, we went, we went and sat down at the tables and they were bringing us lunch and the owner came over and said, how are you girls doing? And we're like, how did you find out about the shipwreck? And he said, even though the, the islands are all spread, <laughs> word gets around really quickly that you girls were the ones that shipwrecked. And uh, we're like, yes. And he said, uh, Charlie, be careful with Charlie. And that's when he mentioned that Charlie runs sort of a, a mob of uh. and, and runs a lot of these dodgy ferries that go back and forth. Mm-hmm. from various islands, from oh. Padang to the various Mentawai islands. So your gut feelings about all of this <laughs> ended yeah. up being spot, spot on. on. Yeah. Spot on. So the whole whole outfit was a bit dodgy. I mean, from what I understand, Fernanda, you had left your phone on the boat when you guys swam to the island, mm-hmm. but you managed to get it back. Fernando had brought it off the boat for you. And what did you find <laughs> out? When you uh, got the phone back. So later on, I was looking at pictures from that we had taken on the island, and I found this picture of what looked to be the captain's instruments. Um, oh. I can I can show you, but um, 
with a, you know, the time and an image of where we were. Um, uh -huh. There's this, hold on, let me just show it to you so that I can describe it a little bit better. Yeah, take your time. Go ahead. Here we go. It. So you can see. You've like got the captain's chart plotter there. Yeah. So you can see this is the direction that we came from. And this was the the trajectory we were on. This was the route that he had picked. <laughs> it goes straight through the center of the island. Right through dead center. Not a good course. <laughs> so, and this was, yeah, that was where we hit. And the boat turned. And that's kind of. So what were the consequences for this captain? Oh, yeah. So when we got to Padang and the Coast Guard uh, vessel got to port the and you might have to help me with because I don't know their ranking the the highest uh, admiral the admiral uh -huh. yes yes thank you the admiral of the coast guard was there to greet us along with a few journalists wow um so we we got on the front page of the Padang newspaper the Indonesian newspaper and it's also in the latitude 38 yeah, um, yeah, story <laughs> but and the, the the title of it is hilarious because it says girls do not want rescue shipwreck huh. which is comical because the admiral let us know he said you know we we got a, many phone calls from the outside rescue these girls and He's like, we sent rescue out, but the captain told us to go and that they have another boat coming out of their own, Charlie's boat, uh, and that they have it taken care of. And so they sent us away. And then you guys called again, or you guys Wow, so slowly out. this started to unfold what had happened with the initial boat showing up and then disappearing. Absolutely. The captain had said, no, we got it covered. We got it covered. And he got into a screaming fight with the uh, the admiral yeah, yeah. or with the coast guard. Yeah, he got into a screaming fight with the admiral and coast guard. And I remember the admiral letting us know, "Don't worry, he's going to go to jail." Mm -hmm. This was his third crash. He's going to go to jail. So he he relayed that information to us. Wow. Actually, another funny thing that the admiral, because I was curious, I was like. You know, being American, I was like, yeah, America. Like, I bet America was the first one to call the Indonesian Coast Guards. And we're so on top of it. And so I asked the Admiral, I was like, I'm just curious, who who, who got through to you first? And he was like, we did not hear from the United States at all. Um, this was the Hong Kong and the Canadian embassies that got through to us. And I was like, are you kidding me? Are you kidding? Well, remember how they had somebody who was looking for PK? <laughs> yeah. From there was a representative from the Hong Kong embassy in in Indonesia, based out of Jakarta, that flew to Padang, looking for, looking Patricia. for Patricia. That's the how, woman from Hong Kong. Yes. Wow. That's, that's how great. That's how accountable <laughs> they are. The U.S. didn't do shit for us. I know. <laughs> didn't make you feel so. Homesick, huh? But we had James there, and he, he yeah. reassured us. So. <laughs> well, everything's been privatized in America. James can take care of it for you. Yeah, totally. <laughs> if you're ever shipwrecked, James is your man. Yeah. <laughs> what, what haven't we talked about about this experience that either you want to talk about or you want people to know? I think the one thing that I think is 
crucial. <laughs> Maybe crucial is not the right word, but I think it's important that when you're in a situation like this, like a flight or fight or flight or, you know, you're faced with like possibly possible death, I think it's always really important to, I guess, so cliche, but stay calm as much as you can. I've said this before, but when I'm in the ocean and I'm surfing or diving or on a boat, I just really abide by what the ancient Hawaiians beliefs are around the ocean. And that is, you know, you can, it is so normal to fear the ocean. It's a natural thing, but panicking in the ocean is what will kill you. And so I live by that every time I'm in the water. And I constantly, when I'm getting, my heart rate is going faster. I'm like, you know, see something scary like a big shark. Remember that panic will kill you. And I think that translates to any situation other than the ocean. That's my two cents on that. That's really good. I mean, it sort of goes along the lines with the cliche Going into this trip, I definitely had this idea of myself before the trip. If you had asked me if I was a fight or flight person, I probably didn't give myself enough credit. I definitely would joke that, oh yeah, if I got into some sort of like terrible situation, I would be the first to die. And what I learned about myself on that trip and in the shipwreck and in my initial reactions to it was that I actually have this very strong will to fight for survival. I think, I mean, my takeaway from that was that I trusted my strength a little bit more. And I think that it's probably the case for most people. If you find yourself in a situation like that, I think you can trust your instincts mm -hmm. because they will take over and they will work in a way that will lead you closer to survival than in the opposite direction, I think. That was a really great defining moment for me. It sounds like you've both been able to take something pretty positive from the experience, and, and it sounds like you've really bonded with the, with the other women that you had this experience with. I really want to thank you for taking the time to talk about what's obviously still a very visceral, visceral experience for you. Thank you for having us. This was great. Yeah, thank you so much. That's it for this episode. Bianca and Fernanda's story of survival was written up in the December 2020 issue of Latitude 38. So if you want to see pictures or read more about the experience, you can find that online. Just search Google Latitude 38 and shipwreck story thanks again for listening if you enjoy the podcast do leave a comment in apple podcasts or reach out to me directly on instagram at outthegatesailing or via email at outthegatesailing at gmail.com as always i'm ben shaw host and producer of the show and until next time smooth sailing